Hey friends, this is Mario J. Radford. I'm the pastor of Growth Point Church, and this is our podcast. I pray that it connects, leads, and maybe introduces you to a growing and life-changing relationship with Jesus. Now let's go into the message. Week two, I want to talk on the topic, don't get it twisted. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Don't get it twisted. Um, I want to make sure that as we go through this series and we go through this particular message today, um, and as you are, uh, for those of you who are going to respond to God's call uh, on your life and be the miracle that God will call for you to be for this week um, and for the future weeks, I don't want you to get it twisted. I want you to just look down your road one more time and say, don't get it twisted. Don't get it twisted. Thank you very much. Don't get it twisted. Uh, as it relates to, um, I've said it last week and I'm saying it one more time again, that the vision of this particular church um, has been and has always been uh, to lead and connect lives to Jesus at every point. Uh, every point uh, signifies those or identifies those people who are at different stages of life uh, that we want to make sure that no matter what point that they are at, uh, that we are reaching them, uh, that we don't uh, basically, uh, if we were to use language uh, that some of those in the army force use, we basically have no one left behind, uh, that we don't ever get to a point that we're after our own life, our own, our own growth, uh, but we're leaving people behind. We don't ever want to leave anybody behind. So we want to lead and connect lives to Jesus at every point. How we do that are through four core values that we have uh, to know God, uh, to find freedom, uh, to discover purpose and make a difference. To know God is what we try to do on the weekends to make sure that you're connected to God through the word as well as through worship that you might be able to understand who he is. To find freedom, we believe that everybody wants to be free from something. And so we do that through our circles of growth, our small groups so that you're able to ask questions in a smaller setting that you might not be able to ask in a bigger setting and to discover purpose to discover purpose uh, that everyone is a 10 in an area uh, or everyone is called to do something our job is to point you uh, basically to release you like an arrow um, as we would uh, from um, a particular bow uh, that you would go into your designated target there's nothing worse than hitting a target but it's not yours there's nothing worse than trying to live out somebody else's vision for your life. There's nothing worse than you always saying, I'm aiming, but I'm aiming at somebody else's vision for my life. We want to make sure that you are aiming at your right purpose. And once you know what your purpose is, then you can make a difference in life. And that's what we want to do at the church. Our core values are not deep, but they are our core values. And we want to make sure that we have people here who are not just coming into a building as if this is a theater, but you're coming into a building to get equipped to go out and do what it is that God have called for you to do. Someone once say I'm equipped I'm equipped and that means that what it is that you're looking for you might already have which brings me to this particular uh, this particular text today and as we look at this in the 16th verse of chapter 4 we find that Jesus went to Nazareth uh, Nazareth was the place of which he was raised up we do know that Jesus was raised in Bethlehem which was a place that he was born in in a manger we do know that you know the story we're coming into December you'll hear about that story but we do know that Jesus was uh, born in a manger or born in Bethlehem but Jesus was raised in Nazareth now what is important about Nazareth is that we don't have a lot of songs about Nazareth. If, if, if to come to think about it, I can't think of one song about Nazareth. 
I can think of songs about Bethlehem, and I can think of songs about Jerusalem, and I can think of songs about Calvary, uh, but I cannot think of any songs of Nazareth. What that says to me is sometimes the, uh, the areas of which you grow the most, there might not be any recorded history about it. Uh, you might grow in places that are not popular, or you might grow in areas. Can you turn this down just a little bit? You might grow in areas uh, that might not necessarily be known by others, but it's important for you. Um, it's very important that you don't ever overlook your Nazareth. Um, some people would try to talk to you and they would say, if I were you, I wouldn't stay there. If I were you, I would move on. Or if I were you, I wouldn't be living in Lexington. Of all the different places that you could go, Kentucky is one of the uh, slowest places. And I, I'm, I'm from this place or whatever. But, but you cannot overlook the place that God has assigned you to grow you. Because scripture says that it was in Nazareth that Jesus increased in wisdom, knowledge, and stature and favor with men. Uh, some things that God has placed you in, it might be slow but it's your favorite spot. Uh, it might be slow, but it might be the spot where God is going to mature you. It might not be a lot of activity going on outside of you, but there might be a lot of purpose being developed inside of you. So you don't ever want to overlook your Nazareth, and you want to protect your Nazareth. Uh, your Nazareth might be your job. Your Nazareth might be your family. Your Nazareth might be an in-between season that you're in right now. You don't let anybody talk about your Nazareth. Uh, uh, when I was growing up, you could talk about anything but my mama. And if you ever said anything about my mama, those were called fighting words. And we would, we would let you talk about my cousins and talk about the dog. But if you say your mama, you're like, <laughs> wait a minute. So you need to be able to have that type of protection for the spot that God is growing you in. That's why I'm very anti when people leave a particular church or a particular ministry and go to another ministry and they want to do everything they can do to dog or to tear down where they came from. And just because it was not your 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 destined place of Jerusalem just because it was not your exalted place where everyone would see you high and lifted up does not mean that that spot was not necessary for a particular season yes they might have been traditional yeah they might have had robes and yeah they might have had dogma yes they might have had liturgy uh, liturgic things and and they, and they might have had uh, liturgy and all that type of stuff but don't you overlook your Nazareth because that is a place that you got foundation that is a place that you learn hymns that is a place that you learn how to prayer or that is a place or that is the person who taught you what you needed so don't overlook people because you might have outgrown them and because you might have moved on you have to be careful of talking about a place that grew you or developed you and put you into a position that you wouldn't even appreciate growth point had you not gone through Nazareth you have to be careful and you have to protect those different spots. It's because sometimes when we, we glorify things about our past that are not necessarily as true as we make them to be. Uh, so sometimes when we say, I want to go back to certain spots and you look at those things and you see those reels and you look at them on YouTube and you say they weren't as glorious as I thought they were. But they were, they were necessary for that season. Someone say necessary. So every hurt in your life might have been necessary. You want Bible? I'll give you Mephibosheth. He was lame in both feet, not because of his own doing, but because somebody dropped him. He got dropped, and for many of us, when you get dropped, you think you're disqualified. But it says that there came a point where when David was looking for someone to honor, and when he looked, he said there was no one else left. 
And it says that he honored the person based on his loyalty to somebody who was actually trying to kill him. He had loyalty to the son of someone who was trying to kill him. And even though he could have said, I have no loyalty to these people and this family because they try to destroy me. But what, what happens is you learn how to respect those who might be the Judas assigned to your life to get you to your destined place. You can't throw away. You can't have Jesus without Judas. You can't have David without Saul. And you can't have you without your story. So before you erase it, you might want to put your hands together and thank God for it. Because had it not happened, you would not appreciate some of the friends and the family and the people that you have preached, Mario. I think I will. You got to make sure that you appreciate your Nazareth. He went to Nazareth, I'm trying to preach this, where he was brought up and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. Now, uh, the custom means uh, that that was his habit. Uh, what that meant was since he was a child, uh, all he knew was going to the synagogue. Synagogue meaning the church, synagogue, church meaning the temple. That's all he knew. Um, it's really difficult to start a habit later in life that you don't have early in life. It's very difficult for you to say no ma'am, yes sir, and all that type of stuff later in life if you didn't grow up with morals or respect for elders at a young age. It's very difficult for you to respect the God things if you didn't grow up in God things. But that doesn't mean just because you didn't grow up in it that you can't eventually learn it. But it says that Jesus went to the temple, went to the synagogue because that was his custom. And that's all he knew ever since he was child. And, uh, but at this time, in this particular part of Jesus' ministry, we, say, it, we find out that Jesus' reputation was widely known. He was doing miracles. He was healing uh, the sick. Um, he was, uh, he, he was, Jesus was so, <laughs> was interesting. Jesus was so connected to his mission. Uh, one of his disciples there, his mother-in-law um, had gotten sick. And Jesus made sure she was healed. You have to really be connected to your mission to want your mother-in-law, your in-laws to be healed. Now, I have a wonderful relationship with mine, but some of y'all don't have mother-in-law. You have monster-in-law or father or whatever and all these different types of things. And you have to really be connected to your mission to want somebody who you don't necessarily like to be better. But Jesus' mission was more important than the person that he was healing. Jesus' mission was very, very important, so his reputation was very widely known. And when he came to the synagogue, as was his custom, it says he stood up to read uh, because they had an order of service. And there was a certain way that the service normally went, as ours do. We have a certain um, structure that we have. And, of course, it's subject to change at any moment, but we have a certain thing. And, and what their order at that time was, they had an invocation. An invocation is not uh, an opening prayer or an uh, invocation is different than intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer, um, there are different types of prayers, just in case you know it. An intercessory prayer is where we're praying for needs or standing in the gap, doing warfare in a way. But an invocation prayer, it's just a prayer of inviting God into, I'm going to set this and, and turn it over and Lord bless this and you get out the way. They had an invocation and then they have the recitation or recitation of the Hebrew confession of faith. And then they would have prayer and then they would go into the reading of the law and the prophets. You never hear praise and worship in there. It was a lot of reading, a lot of prayer. And it says, and then there was a brief sermon 
and then they would close with benediction. So Jesus was asked to read the text or read the scripture, Torah, read it, or what he was supposed to read it, and then he was supposed to give a message. And so Jesus stood up to read, they handed it to him, and it says in verse 17, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. The Old Testament prophet was handed to him, and Jesus was unrolling it, or basically unrolling the scroll. He was unrolling the scroll, so he had to keep unrolling, scrolling, and unrolling until he found what he was going to read. There are a lot of you who are scrolling and unrolling. You don't have what they call a scroll, but you have something called social media. And you keep scrolling until you find what throws you off for the whole day. You keep scrolling until you find what you want to talk about to somebody else. Jesus kept scrolling until he found truth. I want to ask you, what are you scrolling until you find? What are you scrolling to find? Or what are you looking for? Jesus kept scrolling. Someone say this might be a little tight. He was scrolling until he found the truth. And the truth that he found was in Isaiah 54. And he reads this and he, he quotes this in the New Testament. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Someone say me. He wrote, now mind you all, I, touch, I tried to paint the picture for you the best way I could, that we know that Jesus was in his hometown. The people who were in the synagogue were all people who supposedly knew him from childhood. Now Jesus has been widely known outside of his hometown. Now Jesus is coming back to his hometown and he's now scrolling and reading the prophet Isaiah and he says the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now this is why I want you to, to understand this as it relates to this topic today of our second week of Be of the Miracle uh, as it relates to some of you all are called and many of you all have an assignment but what is hindering your assignment is your hometown. When I say hometown, I'm not just talking about your location. I'm talking about people who know you or have known you. Could be family dynamics, could be friend dynamics, or, or people who, who, who know you and have known you for a long time. So Jesus is, is in the midst of people who have known him for a long time. And when he talks about, when he, when, he, he, when he starts to read, I believe when Jesus was saying, don't get it twisted. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. The reason that I believe he said that, it says the first thing as far as don't get it twisted. I think he was saying it to his hometown. He said, don't get it twisted. I'm the choice. And I want to say that to many of you, you're looking for somebody else to fulfill your assignment, but you're the choice. No one else can do what you're assigned to do. Let me tell you something for those of you who need to know it. You can dress like me. You can try to sing like me. You can study me. You can try to preach like me, but nobody can beat me being me. There is only one person, whether that me is a good version or not. There's only one me and there's only one you. And I want you to say to yourself, I am the choice. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And that's why it's important. I know you may be waiting for something deep. He does not say the spirit of the Lord is on somebody else. Many of us have a good version or a good way of pointing out somebody else's thing, but we can't look at our own self. We see better for everybody else but for ourselves. 
So when there's an assignment that's in Lexington or assignment in your hometown or assignment in your community, we always want to ascribe it to somebody else. But when Jesus reads the prophet Isaiah, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, which is to say, I'm the choice. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Somebody point to yourself again and say, it's on me. He said, it's not on anybody else. I, I, God might use you too. But what I'm saying right now is my assignment. He's chosen me. Romans, the eighth chapter and verse 29 through 30 says this. This is what Paul wrote. He says, for those whom he foreknew, this is God, he also predestined. The word predestined means that he basically had me in mind before I was on his mind. Or he had me on mind before he was on, before I was, or he was on my mind. I'm trying to say it right. He predestined me, meaning he was thinking about me before I was thinking about him. He predestined me. He had already had a plan for me while I was trying to figure it out. Bring in Jeremiah 29 11. I know the plans and the thoughts that he has for me. I don't know the plans, but he already has plans. He had predestined me. This it goes on and says to be conformed to the image of his son. That word conform means to be sanctified. The word sanctified is not called holiness. It's not a denomination. That sanctified means he set me apart. Uh, before I surrendered to it, I was already set apart. When I look back at my life, he was always trying to set me apart. When I look back through my friendships, when I look back through my relationships, he was always trying to sanctify me. It's that I was not always submitting to the sanctification process. It's not that I just woke up one day and became sanctified. There was a process of him separating me from my childhood until I finally was able to acknowledge, wait a minute, he's trying to separate me from things I keep trying to go towards. I've always been a work in progress. There's always been something he's been trying to get out of me there's always been something he's been trying to work out of me that's why you get irritated because by the time you get one thing worked on there's something else that God is trying to work on because I'm always a work in progress I'm always working on something he's always showing me something every time I look in the mirror I always see a hair that's out of place every time I look in the mirror I always see a wrinkle that I forgot to iron out because he's always working something on me by the time I get my attitude together that he wants me to get my tongue together by the time I get my tongue together that he wants me to get my finances together by the time I get my finances together he wants me to work on my forgiveness by the time I get my forgiveness together he wants me to work on my character by the time I work on my character he wants me to work on my habits by the time I work on my habits he wants me to work on my decisions by the time I work on my decisions he wants me to let go of stuff that I keep holding on to by the time I get one word down he wants me to get another word by the time I get through praying one prayer he wants me to pray again because he's always working on me that's why you can't look over me because I'm always there's always construction around me there's always signs that say beware construction. There's always signs around me that say be careful how you talk to me. Be, be careful how you step to me because I'm still being worked on. I'm still being developed. I'm not what I need to be yet, but thank God I'm not what I used to be because he's still working on me.
sanctified me in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. That I'm trying to explain the word to you. That firstborn among many brothers means I was adopted. Uh, adopted means that I couldn't break my own habit, so he adopted me, and he adopted me into a family of the first delivered, the first people who could break curses. I couldn't break curses, so he adopted me, called Jesus my elder brother, so now when the devil sees me, he doesn't see me. He sees me because of who adopted me, and the blood is on me, so no matter the what tries to chase me, it's got to go through my family to get to me. Somebody say I'm adopted. Those whom he predestined, he also called. The word called means I'm brought into salvation. Uh, we sing songs like I'm so glad I found Jesus. You didn't find him, he found you. I was lost. He wasn't lost. I was sinking deep in sin. He wasn't sinking deep in sin. I was blind. He wasn't blind. He brought me. Bible says through loving kindness he drew me. Someone say he drew me. Brought me into salvation. And to those he called he also justified. The word justified means he reconciled me back into right relationship with God. God himself could not look at sin, but because of Jesus, Jesus became the propitiation means he became the deposit for my sin. So that when Jesus or when God looks at me, he has to look at me through the eyes of the cross or through the eyes of Jesus. And he has reconciled me. And it says in those who he justified, he also glorified. The word glorified means he also brought me into a final state of being a joint heir with Jesus. Uh, what that means is I have rights beyond this world. If you want Bible for it, it says if this earthly tabernacle shall dissolve, I have another building. It says eternal in the heavens. What that means is because of my joint heirship, he has raised me up together with Christ and seated me in heavenly places. What's wrong with many of you is your seat is too low. So your perspective is lower than your identity. Your identity is up, raised up with Christ. But you keep doing low stuff because you see yourself lower than what Jesus sees you. But when he died on Calvary and when he got up three days later, he said, not only am I raising myself up, I'm raising you up so that when I sit on the throne, you are seated with me. Someone say, raise your seat. What that means is whether they give you a seat at the table or not, I already got a seat. <laughs> whether you want to be inclusive or diverse, I always got a seat. Someone say, I always got a seat. Whether you can see the election or not, I always got a seat. Someone say, I always got a seat. It's not political. It's not a party. It's called heaven. I always got a seat. Says the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Someone say I'm the choice. I hope y'all getting this word down in your soul. He says the spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
And he goes on to say, and the reason that the Lord is upon me, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, is because he has anointed me. So he says, I don't want you to get it twisted. He said, I'm not only the choice, but I'm also the called. He anointed me. Someone say anoint. He anointed me. Ephesians first chapter and verse 18 says, Paul writes again, he says, I want you to have the eyes of your heart enlightened. The eyes of your heart means that you have inner vision. You can't have outer vision if you don't see inner you right. You can't have vision for things if you don't see the vision within you. He says, I want, I, pray, I hope I'm preaching this. He says, I want you to have the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. When you know he's called you, you might not want to give up as quick as you want to give up. Because there is hope in knowing he called you. We used to sing the song. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other friendships are sinking sand. All other loyalties are sinking sand. All other allegiances are sinking sand. All other relationships are sinking sand. But my hope is built on Jesus Christ. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And upon this revelation, the gates of hell will not prevail. Somebody open your mouth and say, I'm on a rock. I'm on a rock. Whitney Houston were here. She would say, I go to the rock of my salvation. I go to the stone that the builders rejected. I run to the rock and the mountains stand by me. When all around me is sinking sand. On Christ a solid rock I stand. When I need a shelter. When I need a friend. I go to the rock. High five somebody say, go to the rock. Go to the rock. Go to the rock. Feel like preaching? Ah, he says, I'm called. <laughs> what is the hope to which you are called? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? He says, don't get it twisted. I got a call on my life. <laughs> if my brother Jason Claiborne were here, he would say over and over, I asked myself, what am I still doing here? Continually, you keep waking me up again. And I'm saying, what am I still doing here? And then he answers the question and said, there's a call. A call on my life. Somebody look at yourself and say, there's a call. It's not that I didn't try to kill myself, but it didn't last. It's not that I didn't try to inject myself with something, but it didn't last. Why? Because there's a call on my life. So we go on, we go on in the text and we walk around and we find somebody uh, uh, who wanted to be a witness today. 
And I want to call one of my first witnesses to the stand. And, and this particular witness, uh, he was overlooked. Uh, this particular witness uh, was somebody who was young and ruddy. The word ruddy or ruddy means that he was somebody who was not uh, pristine or, or those that people would look at. So this prophet came to town and this prophet was looking for someone to anoint because fast forward or rewind a few chapters before and we find uh, that the, the people decided that they wanted a king. Uh, they got a king and his name was Saul but he was the people's choice I want to speak to all of you insecure Christians who are always trying to compete with the people's choice I was watching something last night on Netflix and one of the lines in it was talking about there was somebody who was trying to undermine uh, the person's toy shop because he felt like he was too called and he was too an inventor but he kept messing up and he didn't want to submit to the person who was over the shop. So later on he did all these different things to undermine the person who was over the shop so that the man who was over the shop seemed to have lost everything but the the other man only built his empire on stolen stuff somebody else's ideas that were not his but he was reaping benefits and he was reaping rewards from somebody else's ideas that's why I have learned not to respect people who want to try to build on somebody else's stuff when you haven't fought like somebody else fought or you have not lost like somebody else lost or you have not gone through like somebody else gone through you can try to mimic me but you can't be me you can try to you can rehearse like it but until you've gone through what I've gone through until you cried like I cried you might not want this thing so later on the end of the story uh, they finally caught the man that he was a fraud this entire time and the owner of the shop instead of him getting mad at him could have got mad could have did whatever but this is what real maturity and being secure in yourself would do he said to the person, I want to give you a gift. He said, give you a gift? Give me a gift? He said, yeah, I had this gift for you the night that you went against me. He said, I had something for you the entire time that was going to fix your own stuff to help you be better. He opened it up and he said, oh, that was what I needed. He said, yeah, I was going to give you everything you needed if you just waited. And there are some of you who you can't fulfill your own call because you're so busy scrolling and looking at everybody else. Let me see what Stephen Furtick is doing. Let me see what Bishop Jace is doing. Let me see what they are doing. Let me see what Beyonce is doing. Let me see what Kim Kardashian is doing. Let me see all these people. And all you're doing is scrolling instead of waiting on your own call. And if you wait on the Lord, be 
of good courage he will strengthen your heart somebody in the room say wait on him wait on him wait on him I know it seems like it's taking a long time but you ain't got to sleep with nobody I know it knows like it's taking a long time you don't have to have nobody else's woman you ain't got to have nobody else's car you ain't got to have nobody else's car God's got something for you with your name on it somebody say my name's on it my, my, my name's on it So the man was not pristine. And uh, so the guy that the people chose uh, wound up doing what he always does when you're not God's choice. You can't live up to people's expectations. So he wound up doing something because he wasn't called to it. And it says that the kingdom was stripped from him. So Saul, excuse me, Samuel the prophet started to mourn because he said, hey, uh, the person that was in place, you know, now all of a sudden he's out of place. God said, that was never my person. That was never mine. They rigged that election. He said, that was never my choice. I never, I, never, I never put that person there. I never did that. He says to him in the beginning of chapter 16, verse 1, he says, How long will you mourn over what I've rejected? How long will you keep talking about something that I would never was using? He says, Arise and get up. I've got somebody I want to use. So he went to this man's house named Jesse. He went there, got there, and it says that, uh, that he says, line up your sons, line up the sons. And all these people looked apart. And he got caught up in image. Got caught up in what looked the part. Uh, got caught up in what they looked like. And God said to him in his heart, he says, man... Looks at the outward appearance. But God. Looks at the heart. Some of you. Need to spend more time. Get to know somebody's heart. Because you're infatuated with what they look like. Abs can turn into leaders. Teeth can turn into dentures. Good hair can turn into Brazilian. So don't get caught up in what somebody looks like. You need to know their heart. You do know abusers look good too. Syphilis doesn't have a look. Before you lay down, you might want to check their heart and check their motives before you put up somebody too fast. So God said to the prophet, check, your, check yourself. Don't get caught up in what you see. That ain't it. So God, uh, he said to the man, he said, is there somebody else? He said, well, there's somebody else. But, but you know, we, we, we don't, I mean... It ain't nobody we 
I mean, if you want them, I, I, I mean, we don't even have him eat with us. I mean, but I, I mean, we we don't even include him in family discussions. But I mean, he, I mean, you want? I got another one, but he, I mean, he's out there with sheep. I mean, he he ain't. You want him? But I I'll call him. Can y'all go find wherever that other? He he was so not wanted. They didn't even give him a name. I want to talk to everybody who you've been unwanted by family, but wanted by God. Where people don't want you, but God wants you. He said, get him. And when he came into the room, it says the prophet said in verse 13, it says the prophet Lord spoke to him. He said, rise up, get him. That's the one. So it says in verse 13, it says, then Samuel took the horn of oil. And anointed him in the midst of his brothers. Now, I don't want y'all to look over that part because it doesn't say in the midst of his friends. Sometimes the people who believe in you less are the ones kin to you. Don't look at nobody, just look at me. In the midst of his brothers, and it says, and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. <laughs> From that time forward, and Samuel rose up and he left after this assignment was complete because the spirit of the Lord rose up. What that means is the spirit of the Lord will always rush to where it's safe. The spirit of the Lord will always rush where it's safe. If you're not a safe place, the Spirit of the Lord might not rest upon you. The Spirit of the Lord rested upon somebody who was overlooked because he was never about himself. It was always about service. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that time forward, and he was called. That's the second point. Don't get it twisted. I'm the choice. He says, don't get it twisted. You're the call. And the last thing is, that the next thing is, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me. But I don't want you to stop there. Because after that, there's another part that we use and miss out. You know you're called. You know you're a choice. You know you're called. But the next point is, you're also Committed. Don't get it twisted. I'm the choice. I'm the called. But I'm also the committed. This is where the church gets quiet. Everybody wants to talk about what they called to do. Everybody wants to talk about what they chosen to do. And nobody shows up when you're called to do it. Everybody is anointed until there's work to do. Everybody feels there's every Sunday you feel it, but when we got to go out to the streets, you can't be found. When we want to go out and heal somebody, you can't be found. When we got work to do, you can't be found. So how can you be the chosen and how can you be the called, but you never show up for the work? He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Not to make me feel oh, blah, blah, shata. That's not why it's on me. The Spirit of 
spirit of the Lord was not on me for me to be a pastor. The spirit of the Lord was upon me to get you out of hell. Pastoring ain't popular. The work is the calling. You can get a full church on Sunday, but call a prayer night and you get five people. You can get a full church on Sunday, but call an evangelistic service and you have six people. I don't want the chosen. I don't want the called. I want the committed. People who are not committed always show up when it's convenient for them. It's never a good time to mess up your schedule. But when you are, I've seen many people who can sing for a crowd, but won't sing in the nursing home. I've seen many people who will preach you under many benches, but will not speak to their wife. I've seen many people and many bishops who you are bishop and you ain't even got nobody to cover. You are not committed. You are a title. Preach. Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to be committed. Some of y'all say, I didn't even see that in the scripture. I know you didn't because we don't even talk about being committed anymore in church. There used to be a time, and I don't want to go on a tangent, but there used to be a time where you would find out people, say, would say, I've been at this church for 15 years. I've been at this church for 20 years, or I've been this place. Now we can't get people to say for 15 days. We should have people that will go and defend your pastor and your church and say, I wish you would talk about my man of God. I, I wish you would talk about my church. But now, girl, I heard the same thing. I thought him and his wife, I didn't know if they were together. I wasn't even sure. There used to be a time that people would pray for the church and pray for the pastor. But now, if I don't like you, I don't show up. If you don't give me a solo, I don't show up. If you don't let me preach, I don't show up. If you do something I don't like, I don't show up. If you keep having church in the midst of pandemic, I ain't showing up because I don't agree with you. Child, I saw you in the mall the other day. I don't agree with you either, but I'm committed. Bible says be instant in season. And out of season. That means whether my clothes go out of season or not, I'm going to preach broke. I'm going to preach sick. I'm going to preach strange. I'm going to preach going through because I'm committed. I was preaching like this when we only had two rows. I was preaching like this when we didn't have no followers. I was preaching like this before we had good microphones. I was preaching like this and wasn't nobody backing me up. Heck, I backed my own self up because I'm committed. Somebody say, preach black man. I think I will. It said, ah, 
I'm committed. Caesar, get me out of here. Says the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the first point. To proclaim the good news to the poor. It didn't say to proclaim the good news to a denomination. It did not say proclaim the good news to people who like to like church. It says preach the good news to people who are poor. Not people who won't stay on my live streaming and gonna go to somebody else. I'm not talking about church junkies. I'm talking about people who are poor. People who are poor, I ain't mad for those of you who think I'm mad. I ain't mad, I'm just preaching. I ain't clocking, I'm just preaching. Someone say he's just preaching. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. There's five areas I want to show you about that, what he was saying. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because I'm committed to help those who can't help themselves. I'm committed to help those who can't get free. I'm committed to help those who can't see. I'm committed to help broken people get whole. None of those things said, and last point, and I'm, I'm committed to help restore balance everywhere. None of that stuff said, I was called to people who could help me. We are raising a consumer-minded church. While all we want is to connect to something that helps me. If you're poor, you can't help me. If you're blind, you can't see me. And if you're captive, you can't even get a job. But we only want friends that we can benefit from. And we only want to be a part of churches that look like they got it going on. So we only want to be a part of the popular people. Have you heard of this, Pastor? Because they're popular. But committed people or committed ministries are out in the trenches. Some people say, well, in a pandemic, I can't really do too much because you were never going to do anything anyway. People who are not committed always find a reason why they can't do nothing. But the church is in season and out of season. If there was ever a time to point people to Jesus, it's now. Somebody say, ouch. To proclaim the Lord's favor means it was the purpose or the year of restoring balance to the economic system. That's what it meant. Jesus said, everything I touch gets balanced. According to the year of Jubilee, it, it, it said that slaves were set free and returned to their families. The only problem I'm having is you've been set free, but you don't even know it.
over 2,000 years later, we still trying to tell you, get your freedom. Over 2,000 years later, we're trying to tell you, you need a word. You, I just need a word to get me out of what I'm in. I, I just need something. And you are the word. Someone say, I ain't the word. The Bible says you are a living epistle. The freedom you're looking for has already been set. And it's already been paid for. Oh, Lord. Last point, and I'm through. He says, not only am I I'm, I'm chosen, I hope I'm preaching all right. He says, not only am I the choice, not only am I called, not only am I committed. He says, but the last thing he says, I also am the one who's got the confidence. Y'all missed that part, I'm almost through. Like, where's the confidence part start? Verse 20 says, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant. If I was in coaching, they would say the adjutant. Gave it back to the armor bearer, gave it back to the attendant, and then he sat down. That word sit down means that according to the Jewish teachers, when they were getting ready to teach something, they would sit down. It was customary to stand up to read, but when I'm getting ready to teach you something, I sit down. Sat down, and he says, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he said to them, since they were listening, I know you think you know me. He said, but today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And everyone who thought they knew him looked at him and said, who does he think he is? Because according to before this time, people thought that that scripture in Isaiah was talking about the soon coming Messiah. Somebody that they had um, a certain ideology of what he would look like. Uh, they had described him to so many people. This is what the Messiah is going to look like. And now all of a sudden, the Messiah shows up as one of their homeboys. The answer shows up as one of the people they know since they were little. The answer shows up as a niece. The answer shows up as a nephew or, or the answer shows up as your child. And you're like, wait, how are you going to minister to me? I used to burp you. Oh, I wish I had some real people in here. How, how, how you going to minister to me? I, I remember when you were knee high to a duck, the grasshopper. How, how you going to minister to me? Is this not Joseph's son? I want to talk to people who always somebody's trying to just demean your call. And trying to water it down to ain't you just such and such child? Ain't you just the son of a carpenter? The carpenter was not work that, that was well respected. He said, ain't he just Joseph's son? I mean, he's just some poor child. Who, who, who is he talking about? This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The arrogance that he would have to declare himself the Messiah. That he would declare himself to be the miracle. 
Jesus goes through and he says to them, he basically knows this to say, people in my hometown will not even receive me. But my confidence says that even if you don't respect me, doesn't mean I'm still not called. Got one more scripture. Acts, the 10th chapter, verse 38, excuse me. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. Y'all thought that the main part of that scripture was for God was with him. That's not the main part. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Let me give you a little bit more time with that. It doesn't say God anointed Jesus of heaven. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Meaning, just because you're from a place doesn't mean you're ever above the place you're from. Some of you keep saying, when I get to Atlanta, I'm going to take off. When I get to New York, I'm going to take off. When I get to California, that's when I'm going to get my break because they have more opportunities. Let me tell you something, little girl and little boy. God will anoint you right where you are. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Put yourself in there. He anointed you of Lexington. Anointed you of Frankfurt. Anointed you of Winchester. Anointed you of Atlanta. Anointed you of New Jersey. Wherever you're from, say God can anoint me here. God anointed him just like he did David in the presence of his family. Who am I talking to? In the presence. You keep saying, if I can just get away from these people who don't believe in me. If I can just get away from these people who don't believe in me and don't see me for who I am. He says, right in the midst, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. And I want to tell you this this week for your call, for your assignment, for those of you who are saying, how am I going to be the miracle? How am I going to help somebody this week? How am I going to help somebody this month? And they don't even believe in the God I believe in. Do what you can for those you can for as long as you can. I know y'all wanted something deep, like, oh, that's it. Do what you can for those you can for as long as you can. What that means is they wanted Jesus to perform miracles and, and show us some of the stuff you do. Jesus said, I don't do tricks. He said, I'm called to help people who can't help themselves. He said, and the scripture even says, and because they didn't believe, he, only, he couldn't even hardly do any miracles there. Because they only saw him as a son of Joseph. Let me tell you something. You don't have to defend your character. 
You don't have to defend who you are. Be who you are, even if they don't believe. Someone say, be who you are. Just, I'm through here. I'm finished. Because this part here, this last thing I want to point to you, because some of you say, well, what does this have to do? Because this is usually our end of the year giving series. And we're like, what does this have to do with giving? What does this have to do with that? What that has to do is this. When you give to a cause, when you give and partner with a cause, just like Jesus, Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to do these things. For some of you say, well, I'll never go to Uganda. I'll never go over here. You might not ever go. But when you give and when you partner, you're making sure that the mission is always fulfilled. Malachi 3.10 says, bring the full tithes into the storehouse that there might be meat in my house. You say, what is meat? That there's always provision. Don't turn me off because I'm talking about money. The tithe is to say, if you, God, if you give me, because some of y'all keep saying, I'm going to give when I win the lottery. No, you're not. If you can't give 10 cents on a dollar, you won't give 100. The 10th is to say, Lord, I give you back what belongs to you because the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because you anointed me to be able to make sure I'm partnering with something that's doing somebody or a ministry that's helping other people. I want to make sure that as you are here and we're trying to be a miracle this week and try to be the miracle for the rest of this month and try to be the miracle for the rest of our life, matter of fact, that you don't ever get it twisted and think that this is just about packing out a church. Caesar, I, I used to have conversations with pastors sometimes, and, and actually, uh, to be quite honest, those of y'all who do know me have known me for a long time. Those of you who are streaming, you know, don't judge me for this statement. I don't have a lot of pastor friends. Y'all like, oh, he's lonely. Oh, I'm not lonely. No. <laughs> you would have thought I was the only child. I could always entertain myself. No. If there is a pastor friend, Mel, I didn't ask you. <laughs> if, there, if there's a friend, I should, if, <laughs> Mel, you my, my whole illustration. If there was a pastor that I do talk to, if you want to know, he's one of our overseers, Dr. Thomas Beavers. I talk to him all the time. But it's not about y'all. It's about how can I be better? I, I, I want to be better. But a lot of times when I talk to, to pastors, especially pre-COVID, Doc, how many you got over there? Doc, how many members you got over at Grow Point? How many is on your roll? What's your offering like? Sir, I'm trying to get people out of hell. I'm trying to make sure the poor are ministered to. I'm trying to make sure that somebody in prison is ministered to. I'm not counting people. I don't have time because every soul has a name. I can't say what I want to say. I'm not sitting around comparing sizes. It's about souls. Someone says it's about souls. Don't get it twisted. Yes, we thank God for what he's done for Growth Point. Yes, I thank God for what he's done in five years. Absolutely. But don't get it twisted. It was never about likes. It was always about Mama Joanne. It was always about Dominic. It was always about Ashley. It was always about Lucian. Always about John. Always about Stacia. Always about all these people here to make sure that you had what you needed to grow. Always. 
always to make sure that when you came through these doors, you would leave and say, I'm so glad I got what I need to grow. I want to take this time to thank you for your prayers, support, and generous giving that make this ministry possible. For more ways to connect, visit online at growthpointchurch.org. If you've enjoyed today's message, you can like, subscribe, share with your friends, or take a screenshot and share on your social stories and tag us at My Growth Point. Until next time, keep growing.